Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 45, Matilda of Tuscany, the Iron Countess of Canossa, Part 1. This and the next episode require a bit of a premise. We have spoken about the Countess Matilda for over several episodes now, since she was first introduced back almost 10 episodes ago in number 36. That means that the more regular listeners of A History of Italy will have already heard a lot of what we're going to talk about. Having said this, I really feel that Matilda deserves her own episodes, which bring everything regarding her life together, with some extra added detail. I'll put both of these episodes together in a single episode for Patreon listeners. Not that one couldn't stick them together on their own, but hey. This also means that these two episodes work as a standalone mini-series in case you've stumbled upon Matilda across a different path, perhaps in search of great women in history. Well, here we go. Let's imagine that you wish to visit Italy, northern Italy precisely. Let's also imagine that you're courageous or crazy enough to want to rent a car and brave the jungle that is the Italian motorway. You're driving from Milan southeast towards Bologna because, let's face it, you want to get away from Milan as quickly as you can. As you make your way down, sticking to the right-hand lane in terror, at a certain point, after going past Parma, you see a sign for a motorway exit, Terre di Canossa, the lands of Canossa. You go past the exit, and then you see a very impressive Santiago Calatrava bridge over the motorway, and take that exit to the city of Reggio Emilia. A town of Roman origin, named after the consul Marcus Aemilius Lepidus. In this town, you can find a school with the name of Matilda of Canossa. With the same name, you can also find a golf club, a hotel, a restaurant, roads, a square, mountain trails, and, if you look further away, even a French racehorse. What was so special about this lady, Matilda of Canossa, to warrant her name being used for so many things over 900 years after her death. Well, if it had not been for the fact that, at the time when she lived, there was an emperor who officially ruled over northern Italy, perhaps she would have been called a queen. As it was, she was the Margravine of Tuscany and Countess of Canossa, ruling lands that stretched from the confines of Rome up almost to the confines of Italy. We don't need to start off by going all the way back to her 11th century to meet her. Indeed, in the year 1644, her body was examined and found to be more or less intact, with flesh still on it, straight, large, regular, very white teeth, and red hair. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Matilda was a redhead. 
But before we go to stand beside the little red-haired girl, let's go and have a look and see where her family came from. The founder of the Canossa dynasty is considered to be a certain Siegfried, a man of Lombard origin, who made his way to the mountains of the Emilia area from the Tuscan city of Lucca. It is around Canossa that the family started to build their own power base. Their big break came at the time of Emperor Otto the Great. The head of the Canossa family at that time was Adalberto Atto, a vassal of the Bishop of Reggio Emilia, Adelardo. It was Adalberto Atto who gave sanctuary to Adelaide, future wife of Emperor Otto, as she fled from Berengarius, king of Italy, who wished to force her into marrying him. The help given by the Canossa to the imperial family was not forgotten, and thanks to that connection and some shrewd marriage alliances, as well as a healthy dose of good old violent land-taking, Adalberto and his descendants built up lands and wealth, and it didn't hurt that they always had a bishop in the family. The parents of Matilda, who was born in 1046, were Bonifacio Atto of Canossa and Beatrice of Lorraine. With this, his second marriage, Bonifacio had greatly increased his holdings, adding Parma, Reggio and Modena, and when Bonifacio was granted the March of Tuscany by the Emperor Conrad II, it made him perhaps the most powerful noble after the Emperor himself. The relationship between the Canossa and the Empire that had been the foundation of their great fortune started to sour with Emperor Henry III, and indeed the latter was one of the suspects when Bonifacio was killed, possibly by a poison arrow, in the year 1052. That takes us back to the little red-haired girl. She is six years old. She is six years old, and the news of her father's death had just arrived. We don't really know how Matilda felt about losing her father. He was a strong, vigorous, ruthless and ambitious man, and we don't know how much she actually saw of him. Her contemporary biographer, Donizone, seems to have omitted the nature of his death to avoid the painful memory. In any case, Beatrice was alone with three children, Matilda, the youngest, Federico, the oldest and the heir of Bonifacio, and Beatrice Jr. Both died in the same year, 1055. This was not unheard of in those times, but strange enough for rumours to circulate and the blame to point once again to the emperor. It seems that Matilda was accumulating reasons to bear a grudge towards the empire. Beatrice had looked around for a friend or an ally, and since she wasn't sure she could trust Henry III any longer, she looked to the other great power at the time, the papacy. The Pope at the time was also her uncle, Leo IX, which was handy. However, he was not long for this world. When Victor II took his place, she felt she needed a more stable guarantee. In truth, she would have liked to give everything up, to take her daughter Matilda into a convent, 
and live the rest of their lives in peace, away from the troubles of the world. But duty called. It was at this point, in 1054, that she married Godfrey of Lorraine, known as the Bearded. One supposes because he must have had quite a magnificent beard. I mean, I'd imagine he's not the only one that had a beard around in those times, so if he's called the Bearded, there must have been something very special about his beard in particular. Godfrey, like Beatrice, was a vassal of Emperor Henry III, who had also rebelled against his overlord, and Beatrice was suspect at best. Both the bride and the groom bought children from previous marriages to the deal, and to consolidate their union for the future, they decided to betroth the two youngsters. Thus, at the age of eight, Matilda was now promised to Godfrey the Hunchback, son of Godfrey the Bearded. Godfrey stepped into the role of the man of the family quite readily and started to consolidate and expand his new lands. One thing that Godfrey can be credited with is setting in motion the fame of the city of Florence, where he moved his centre of activity. This city became very dear to Beatrice and her daughter. The mother ended up being buried there after her death. Godfrey's activities worried the Pope, who appealed to the Emperor, who made his way down, sending Godfrey scampering back to Lorraine and leaving Beatrice and Matilda to be made prisoners. Now, they weren't chucked into a mouldy dungeon somewhere. After all, they were noble prisoners and Beatrice was a first cousin to the Emperor. It is here, therefore, that Matilda continued to be educated at court, learning languages including German. This captivity, however, did not last long. In the year 1056, Henry III died. Feeling that his time was near, he released the two women and got them and Godfrey to swear allegiance to his six-year-old son, also called Henry. This is where we get to know one of the main characters in the story of Matilda, future Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV. The marriage between Beatrice and Godfrey lasted until 1069, when the latter died. Just before his death, he had called his wife and stepdaughter to him in Lorraine, hoping to seal the marriage deal between Matilda and his son Godfrey. So Matilda stayed, and her mother, once again widowed, returned to Italy. Matilda was alone, far from home, surrounded by strangers with a husband that she most likely found repulsive. Once again, she did her duty. That is a word that could very easily be used to characterize the life of Matilda of Canossa, duty. She became pregnant with a daughter, to whom she gave birth in 1070, but the baby soon died. At this point, she could bear it no longer. Alone, having lost a child, she made her way back to Italy and her mother. The year was 1071 by now, and just two years later we can introduce the third of the great characters in our story, after Matilda and Henry IV, and that is Ildebrando of Suana, a monk who became Pope with the name of Gregory VII. He embarked upon a radical church reform campaign 
which would have inevitably brought him on a collision course with the emperor. This was because one of the bees in Gregory's bonnet was the fact that the emperor was happily galumping around, investing bishops, nominating them, and giving them loads of lands and privileges. Gregory claimed that only the pope would have that right. Before we go back to what would be known as the investiture controversy, Matilda's hubby, Godfrey the Hunchback, still has a part to play. He was pining for wifey and wanted her back. He sent a load of love letters, and he had Pope Gregory intervene with the Countess to fulfil her duties as a wife. This was one responsibility which she resisted. She was a staunch defender of the Church, but this was one point she was not going to back down on. And from what contemporaries say about her, it seemed that the Countess was not one to easily change her mind. She even resisted her husband's lovely present of a relic that had been brought down to her and had belonged to her father. Listeners will know that a relic is generally the remains of some saint. So basically, he was trying to win back the love of his wife by giving her bits of cadaver. It didn't work, and Godfrey decided to give up. He no longer had the help of the Pope, who had gone quite cold on him, writing to Matilda that, With regard to the advice that you ask, on what to answer Godfrey, we do not know, since he has openly broken the oath that he made to you, and we cannot believe any of his promises. But we now must move on from this romantic interlude back to the action. We mentioned that Pope Gregory set off on a reform that brought him into contrast with the emperor, and in the famous year of 1075, we see the deposition of the Pope by the Emperor and the excommunication of the latter by the former. In all of this, Matilda supported the papacy. This came at a great cost to her, since the close proximity to the Pope of an unmarried woman gave their enemies all kinds of ammunition to discredit them. The year 1076 was a game-changer for Matilda. Her marriage ended quite dramatically and suddenly when Godfrey of Lorraine, known as the Hunchback, was killed as he sat down on the toilet by having a dagger or sword shoved up his, well, the place one uses when one goes to the toilet. Even worse for Matilda was the death of her beloved mother, her only remaining family, in April at the age of 57. Matilda's desire to leave the burdens of the material world behind and seek the peaceful life of the convent was even stronger in these moments of desperation. But once again, Gregory convinced her to stick to her guns. Duty won out again. The winter between 1076 and 1077 was one of the coldest in living memory. The great Po River froze over, and wild animals came out of the vast forests that covered the Po Valley and entered villages looking for food. We can imagine Matilda brooding in front of a fire in her cold and drafty castles. Even for nobles, keeping warm wasn't easy, 
with only open fireplaces to warm the cold stone floors and walls. It was during this cold winter that the humiliation of Canossa occurred. Henry the Fourth, due to his excommunication, had lost the support of many of his nobles, and had been forced to accept to attend a council in Augsburg. However, as the Pope was making his way up, Henry headed him off, and when the Pope retired to Matilda's fortress of Canossa, Henry went to him in penitent's robes, barefoot, freezing in the snow for three days and nights. In the end, the Pope, the leader of the Christian Church at the time, was forced to take back into the Church a penitent Christian. Although he had indeed suffered a humiliation and I suspect a bit of frostbite, Henry had performed a diplomatic and propaganda masterstroke. His excommunication had been lifted, and he had not had to attend the Council of Augsburg. In Canossa, in those days. As well as Matilda, Gregory, Hugo of Cluny, and the mother-in-law of Henry the Fourth, Adelaide, there was also a man by the name of Anselm, Bishop of Lucca, who was at the time in exile from the city, since the citizens who were pro-empire had rebelled against him and his attempt to implement the reform there. Anselm became a confidant and counselor to Matilda, a sort of substitute father figure for when Gregory was far away. The two grew very close, and for a time, the countess did not make a single decision without consulting her bishop. Meanwhile, would-be Emperor Henry—he had not had his imperial crown at this time—continued to do as he pleased, investing bishops, imprisoning bishops that disagreed with him, and so on. The nobles in Germany were wary of their king, and so elected a rival king of Germany. Rudolf of Swabia. In the end, Henry was able to deal with this anti-king, and was ready to turn his attention to Pope Gregory and his ally Matilda. The latter had no real obligation towards the Church, and in truth, it would have been far more convenient for her to be a loyal vassal to the Emperor. But she had made her choice, whether out of conviction or desire for revenge, and she stuck to it. With determination, the cost to Matilda for this choice was war. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. As always, I'd like to, in particular, thank my Patreon donors: the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Ed, Joshua, Preston, Jeff, and Sean. The Matilde di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini level, Benjamin, Wyar, and Roberta, the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Ben, Silane, Chris, Dean, Ignazio, Jay, Caitlin, Shelby, Stephen, and Vincenzo, and the tip-top level, Dante Alighieri and Maria Montessori level, Sen. I also really have to thank a couple of people for some lovely, lovely reviews. So thanks to Marge Crabtree, and thanks to Warrior Princess, who was also looking for some podcasts on great women in history. So this one is perfect for you, Warrior Princess. 
Thanks very much for the lovely review. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. If you would like to write a review, please do that on your favorite podcast catcher. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash ahistoryofitaly or donate through our website, ahistoryofitaly.com on PayPal. Thank you very much for that. And thank you for everyone for listening to the program. Until next time, arrivederci. Matilda, my love, my darling, I have missed you so much. Mm. Please, my little love pigeon, come back to me. No, thanks. Oh, but I have brought you a present, huh? A precious relic that belonged to your father. So, you want to win me back with the bits of dead people? Do you like it? Go away, weirdo! Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.